0: How are you? I feel a bit stupid standing up here. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Before we start, let's just pray because uh, well, I think that's a good way to go. Dear Lord, thank you for the time that we can share together. Thank you for every single person who's in this room and thank you for who you are and um, the fact that uh, you love us and that you want to speak to us tonight. So we open our hearts and minds to you. We want to hear from you um, and we love you. Thank you. Amen. Okay, you guys want to just dive straight into it and then we'll have more time to talk afterwards? All right, let's do it. So uh, today uh, we're going to talk about doubt um, and particularly, yeah, thanks, bro, that's, that's nice. We're, going to, talk about, we're t- going to talk about doubt and we're going to talk about the dignity that we can have in doubt. Um, I was reading yesterday uh, an article um, about why people leave church um, and particularly, like our age group, you know, so like the early 20s and stuff like that. And one of the key things that they were saying in that article was that the main, re- one of the main reasons is because a lot of people, uh, they go through, you know, obviously as a child, you're told what to believe, what to think, and you, you know, you obey your parents, all that kind of stuff. And then, obviously, as you mature, you get your own identity, your own set of values and beliefs. And so then people start to doubt. People start to doubt. Um, what they've been taught and raised up uh, in, in terms of their faith, if they have been raised in the faith. And if not, then, you know, obviously you just are sceptical in general and and you doubt everything, which is a normal, healthy part of development, may I add. Um, But then what happens is that's not the problem, Uh, or this is what this article was saying. The problem isn't that people doubt. The problem is that they feel that church um, and their community of faith And their parents and and whoever else is around them, they feel that that community doesn't give them the space and the ability to voice those doubts and to wrestle with those doubts and to actually like openly come out about those doubts. About what they believe, why they believe it and who God is and what God says about himself in the Bible and who they are and all this kind of stuff. So uh, the idea is that they feel like the church is almost like this um, insular Like compress you down into like, you know, believe what we believe or else and don't you dare speak anything other than what we tell you to think and say. And if you talk outside of it, like you're not, you're not a good boy. You're not a good girl and you better, you better act right. Otherwise, Jesus won't give you presents on Christmas or something. So the idea is that uh, that's not a biblical view of doubt. In fact, let's do an exercise. I want you to think, those of you who know your Bible, which hopefully is everyone, but those of you who know your Bible, think about at least one character who doubted God. Instantly, you can think of a few, right? And the reason why is because the Bible is literally filled with people, human beings, who doubt God, doubt God's word over their life, doubt God's intentions and his wills and his ways doubt God's ability even um, even when they're face to face with him i.e. Moses or whatever else right um, and so when I was preparing this message I literally was spoilt for choice as to who to grab for examples from the Bible but we're, we're going to look at um, a very interesting example an example of someone who is very 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 important um, to the faith to the the story of the Bible like you know was prophesied about from like you know the prophets back in the day, and um, who knew Jesus very intimately, very closely, and still doubted Jesus. Um, so open up with me if you got your Bible slash phone with a Bible on it to Matthew chapter eleven, and um, uh, we're gonna look at this story. And before we get to this story. Let's set the scene where we're up to right now in the Gospel of Matthew. So as you read through the Gospel of Matthew, the beginning, it tells you the, the, um, the genealogy of Christ. You know, who Jesus is, uh, uh, where he came from, the fact that he's a descendant of Abraham and, and um, David. And, you know, he's essentially he's the Messiah. He's fulfilling all these, these prophecies. And, and he is the Messiah. He's the one that everyone's been waiting for. Um, and the Messiah, Messiah is a loaded word in, in, in scripture. Messiah essentially means, um, uh, the promised King, the promised King, who's going to set everything back to the way it was supposed to be, the, the way that God intended it to be, i.e. Eden. Right. And so this Messiah, Jesus is him that from the get go of Matthew, that's who you're introduced as Christ being through this genealogy. And then you see Jesus go through the, the temptation in the wilderness you see him uh, well, you see him be baptized by John the Baptist, and literally the heavens opening up, and God saying, "This is my son, um, and the Holy Spirit depend, uh, descending on Jesus, and then you see him enter the wilderness where he's tested and trialed, and he overcomes this temptation, this test from uh, Satan and uh, exits in, in the and begins his ministry. And then you see him give the Sermon on the Mount, this incredibly, like things that we still quote today, things that still hold our value system in, in Western society, you know, ideas such as like, don't hate, love people, turn the other cheek, things like it's not good to, you know, not only not murder, but like actually just don't hate people. Things like don't just... Not, you know, cheat on your wife or your husband, but actually like don't even like let your mind go in that way. Like that's not these very impactful, powerful, amazing things. And then you see Jesus heal people, restore sight to the blind. You see him set people free from demonic um, activity. You see him uh, declare the kingdom of God and say that the kingdom of God is here. Um, And uh, then we reach this story. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, um, and let's read from verse 1, and we're going to go all the way to 19, but we'll stop as we go along. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 says this, When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? All right, so this is, this is very bizarre. This is very weird, right? All we've heard up until this point is the amazing things that Jesus done. From the point of view of John, all we've heard so far is that John was starting this ministry of repent, the kingdom of God is here. And then literally he says, there will be someone coming after me who is greater than I. Um, And that he's the Messiah. And then literally Jesus walks onto the scene and John's like, this is the guy. And then the the, the baptism and the heavens open and God says, this is my son, right? That's what John's interaction with Jesus has been. And then as the reader, you have been reading about all this amazing stuff that Jesus has been doing. And then all of a sudden, Matthew stops the flow. And says, by the way, John's in prison. And he's not going to tell us anything about that until later on. But by the way, John's in prison. And while John's in prison and he hears about what the Christ has been doing, it's very intentional here. He's not saying that what Jesus has been doing or what Jesus of Nazareth or John's cousin has been doing or anything like that. He says what the Messiah, what Christ has done, has been doing. In other words, like he knows who this guy is. It's not. But then John asks him this question through his disciples. He says, Are you actually the Messiah? Are you actually the Christ? Uh, Or should we be like searching for someone else? And the question that we're supposed to ask as we read this is what the heck is John thinking? Why? Why? What's with this about face? Right? And Matthew gives you all you need to know right now, even before he tells you what happens to John later on. And that is one simple fact that he's in prison. I wonder that in our world, in our day to day life, particularly when it comes to our faith, and I think this drives a lot of people's doubts, we have expectation who God is, who I am, what the world is supposed to be about, and where I'm supposed to be going in, in my life. And then all of a sudden, sometimes there's this intersection between reality and what actually happens, right? I'm supposed to be married by this age, with this career, with this uh, financial stability and with this, this and this. And then all of a sudden, reality at the age of 26 doesn't look that way. Like, what the heck? Or my family, they're going to be healthy. Everyone's going to be fine and we're all great. And and then all of a sudden, someone gets diagnosed with cancer. Or um, I'm supposed to have a child and this and this by this age. But then all of a sudden... I can't get pregnant or um, that child is going to have a serious disability or something like that. Reality versus expectation. And then all of a sudden, if you are engaging with God as you walk through life, your expectation of what your life is supposed to look like all of a sudden comes in this conflict with, but God, aren't you supposed to be in control of all of this? Aren't you supposed to be behind all of this? Aren't you supposed to be backing me up? Aren't you supposed to be helping me along? Like what's with this? Why? Why am I not where I'm supposed to be at? Why is this happening? And uh, think about it from John's perspective. John is a guy who is his ministry was repent for the kingdom of God is here. The Messiah has come and you better get your act together because the kingdom of God is here. So repent, go be baptized, you know, repent. And then all of a sudden, Jesus rocks onto the scene. And what's he doing? He's hanging around with sinners. He's having meals with tax collectors. Not only that, John's in prison, imprisoned very unjustly, as you later find out, very unjustly imprisoned. And Jesus is just kicking back miles away with other people, healing them and doing things for them. But his own cousin, the guy who pointed at him and said, You're the Messiah. He's not with him. Like, Jesus, what's going on? You're going to let this slide? You're going to let the kingdom of God appear in this way, but not appear in this? Like, what's going on here? And, you know, I'm your prophet. Like, this was what John was. He was a prophet of God. He was, in fact, the prophets that, as we'll read later, he was the prophet that all the other prophets looked forward to. Because once you got John, you know, the Messiah is right, right around the corner. And... Really, you're going to leave your prophet to, like, we get all these stories in the Old Testament about, okay, sure, prophets are persecuted and this and that. But eventually they come out on top. Eventually they're a bit vindicated for, you know, all the, the, the hardship that they're going through. And yet John is in prison and is like, Jesus, like, I'm going to nudge you awake a little bit. Like, you remember, I'm your prophet. I'm in prison here. Like, are you going to come do something about this or should I be looking for someone else? Like, what's going on? Expectation versus reality, and wrestling with who God is and what the plan is in this situation. And the idea is that this is coming from a place of uh, confusion, Just point pure and simple. He doesn't get it, uh, and it's coming from a place of hurt. It's rejection. It feels like rejection. Um, so I, I don't know if you've ever had that sense of like expectation not being met before. But I I recently had it um, in a, a very like like it hit me. It was guttural lack of expectation in a stupid way. It wasn't like a life threatening or anything yeah. like that. No 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 no. But uh, but the, the story is this: uh, Sarah and I, we, you know, we just went grocery shopping, and I um, when when like we don't have anything to eat. What I usually do, and she knows this. <laughs> what I usually do. Yeah, that's yeah. right. The tuna. <laughs> That's right, with some kind of cracker, tuna with cracker. It's weird that you know this. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, tuna with some kind of cracker, and, and I'm particular to either Doritos or shapes, pizza shapes. Anyway, so we've got pizza shapes at this point. And uh, anyway, so I was really looking forward to this future meal that I was going to have. And well, anyway, and then one day I come back, and it's the day she's not cooked, and she doesn't want anything, so I'm going like, to just have this meal that I really like having. And I look for the, I look for the, the shapes. And they're not in the pantry. And I'm like, Sarah, where are the shapes? I took them to school. What, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> we bought these shapes. You know, these shapes are for me. Expectation, crush, like, betrayal of, like, who are you? Oh, <laughs> Why it's don't... <laughs> That's right. we're, we're having a bit of a conflict. But, um, yeah, so, but, yeah, look, we've all faced this on small scales, on big scales, where it's like this, you know, this person who you're supposed to know, this relationship, and expectation is not met and it hurts. And it's like, what? You don't know, like, why? What's going on here? So this is John's mindset, okay? And this is a bit of a slap in the face for Jesus as well. Like, you know, like, what more do you need? Like the heavens opened up in front of you and you heard God say, and not only that, but you yourself know, like from John's birth, it says in in the gospels that John's birth, Elizabeth and Mary, the mother of John and the mother of Jesus, when uh, uh, John in the womb and Jesus in the womb, and John leapt for joy in Jesus uh, in uh, Elizabeth's womb when Jesus was close, and then Elizabeth prophesies and said, uh, "My baby knows that this is the Messiah." And so, so like from the beginning, they know they're cousins, they're friends, they they love each other, and and John knows, and 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 he's had experiences with you. So this hurts. This hurts um, from both both sides. Um, and this is what Jesus says to him. So, the church, the church might say this. Church might say, you stupid? Like, haven't you read your Bible hard enough? Don't you, haven't you been praying long enough? Like, go, go read this, then come back and we'll talk about it. And if you still got questions, then we'll talk about it. Or some, some kind of thing like that. But that's not what Jesus does at all. This is what he says in verse 4. Um, Jesus answered. And it's, Jesus answered, all right? He doesn't, John actually asks sincerely and Jesus answers. I mean, he says this, go and tell John what you hear and see, that the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the the deaf hear, the dead are raised up and the poor have good news preached to them. Literally like recounting each chapter and what Jesus has been doing over the course of the past few chapters that you've been reading. Um, but not only that, it's not that Jesus is just saying like, okay, here's a shopping list of all the stuff that I've been doing as more proof. No, no, no. He's actually quoting scripture. He's actually quoting a whole bunch of passages from the book of Isaiah. He's saying, and and John would know these passages. In fact, all of these people would know these passages. They're hardwired. They, they literally meditate on the Bible day and night. The The, the Jewish people, that, that's how they're raised. That's how they're brought up, particularly in this age, in this culture. And, uh, so John would be very aware. Jesus is quoting all this stuff from Isaiah, uh, that points to the Messiah. And so Jesus is saying, Hey, this is happening. Like this is going on. Um, and, and I've been doing this, but he's not just saying that he, he he says this in verse six, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Jesus doesn't usually like speak in very clear ways. So we've got to unpack this a little bit. Um, Okay, so imagine you're John, you get that report. Uh, So Jesus said he wanted you to know that the the people who have been blind, they've been restored their vision, the the people who are, you know, and John's like, I get it, I get it. He's quoting from Isaiah. all right. And he also said, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. What's what's Jesus trying to communicate uh, in this situation? Well, he's saying, John, I know that this isn't what you expected. I know that this isn't what the kingdom of God looked like to you. I know that injustice is still happening. I know that you're still in prison. And I know that I'm helping other people right now. Um, But blessed are you who will not look at your circumstances and let that become the story of what God is doing. Blessed are you who allows yourself to look outside of yourself and look at who God really is and what God is really about. It's not about you and your personal Feeling or attitude about is God doing a good job or not? Is God meeting my standards or not? Is God standing up for the right thing for me or not? But rather who is God and what is he about and trying to find that in what he's doing and what he says about himself rather than my Perception and expectation about him, right? And guess what guys this is exactly what's happening in our world today you just have to go outside of this room, go find a random person on the street and say, what do you think of God? And they'll tell you, I don't like how Christians think this. Uh, and if God thinks this, I'm not on board with that. If God feels this way about these kinds of people, or if God feels this way about what I'm doing in my life, then I don't want to have anything to do with him. Blessed are you who aren't offended by him. Blessed are you who look beyond your own personal situation, your own Friction with where you and God kind of don't meet eye to eye and where your expectations and reality don't meet. Blessed are you who look past it and say, I am interested in actually who this Jesus guy is because he's worthy of knowing more about because of what he's doing and who he is intrinsically, not based on how I feel about it. Blessed are you who aren't offended um, by Jesus. And then he says this. So, so that's his response to John. And John's having these serious doubts about Jesus and, and having these, like this internal conflict uh, and, and is doubting Jesus. But Jesus, he gets an opportunity and he takes an opportunity. He pauses and he takes an opportunity. There's a crowd around him. He pauses and he takes an opportunity to talk about John. And what he doesn't say, what you'll notice he doesn't say he doesn't defend himself and like kind of diss John on the side as like a way of like saying, oh, no, ignore, ignore this guy. He's a bit twisted. We'll get to him eventually. Or Like, no. And he doesn't, he doesn't put him down. He, he does the opposite. Where Jesus, where John's lack of faith and lack of, you know, the doubt is coming in. Jesus has nothing but the utmost highest regard for John. And he says uh, this in verse seven, um, as they went away. So as the disciples of John are going back to John, they went away uh, Jesus began to speak to the crowd. So he didn't have to say any of it. It's not like he's gaining favor with John's disciples. Like, oh yeah, by the way, while you're here, just let me, I'm just going to like talk John up and tell him I talked him up. Oh, no, 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 they've gone, and here's the crowd, and this is what Jesus says. Jesus began to speak the crowds to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. So John began his ministry in in the wilderness. Crazy man. Uh, wearing like all this crazy stuff, eating locusts and honey and like crazy guy, right? So Jesus is saying, what did you go out to the wilderness where John was t- hoping to see? Did you want to see a pushover, a reed swaying in the wind? No, no. Did you did you go out to see a, a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in the king's houses. Are you going to see some guy who's like pampered and who's like living in the lap of luxury No, he's not a softy. He's not a pushover. So what did you go out to see? Behold, a prophet. Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare the way before you. In other words, he quotes scripture again. He quotes the the, um, Malachi, the the book of Malachi and where it's about this prophecy about John saying uh, this is the prophet who's going to declare the way. Jesus says, this is a man of God. This is a man who has God's mouth, uh, God's words in his mouth. This is a man who declares um, my coming, and this is the man who you went to see. This is the man who had power, who told you to repent and told you to to, to um, expect the kingdom of God and expect the Messiah. He, yeah, he doesn't criticize or shame John. He celebrates him and his calling. He celebrates who he is and what the what the message that God gave him was. And in fact, he doesn't negate it. He doesn't say he lost his way. He tells and declares, this is who this guy is. And then he says in verse 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. No one is as good as John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus loves to bring two opposing uh, sentences and clash them together. like, alright, so there's no one greater than John the Baptist, but by the way, in the kingdom of God, if you're less than John the Baptist, then you're greater than him. Like, what the heck, Jesus? What are you talking about? Like, is he great or is he not? Like, what are you trying to say? What he's trying to say is this, that John was prophesied about. He had this role. He was, everyone looked, was waiting for him, anticipating If you were to asked. Uh, Elijah and Malachi and, uh, and uh, Ezekiel, and uh, all these prophets who were so highly regarded and so influential, and, and everyone uh, thousand, hundreds and thousands of years later, they're still reading their work. If you were to ask them, What are you most looking forward to? I'm most looking forward to the day where the prophet. The final prophet announces the kingdom of God and the Messiah comes. That's the day that they'd be looking forward to. And Jesus is saying, this is the guy. No one is greater than him in terms of human beings that walk this earth. No one is greater. He's been given the greatest honor. And yet, yet God's kingdom, God's perspective is different to yours. You ask anyone with their own human perspective, who's the greatest human being that... Literally, if you ask uh, certain members of religion, other religions, who is the greatest person who ever lived? They will say their final prophet was the greatest person who ever ever lived. Why? Because it's a very important role. And they worship and celebrate their final prophet. And so same mentality. These are the same mentality. And yet God, Jesus here says, God's kingdom and, and God himself has a different perspective on who is important. And who is important is anyone who humbles themselves, who lowers themselves to a point where they want to they see God's kingdom come and where they, they love and, and serve God. In other words, you don't have to have this title or role to be someone of significance in God's kingdom. And that's good news. And then he says this in verse 13. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Back up. We just read verse 11, right? Yes. Okay. So, yeah, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is Elijah. Who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus goes on to unpack this idea about God's kingdom, and he says, Guys, you view this this you have this expectation about the kingdom of God. But guess what? The kingdom of God has come. John prophesied it. I am here. I am the I am the Messiah. I'm the Christ. I am the king of this kingdom. The kingdom of God is here, and guess what? Violent people and aggressors are at the door. They're, beating, they're trying to beat this kingdom down. They're trying to put John in prison. They're trying to, well, and eventually try to, well, even up until now, Jesus has had opposition um, in his ministry so far. They're coming in and they're trying to tackle uh, the work of God in our life. But guess what? That happened back, back then as well. Elijah, John is a new Elijah. Elijah was very persecuted and marginalized and hated. Um, and he says, he who has ears, let them hear. Pay attention. Pay attention. The way that you see the world, the a lot of us, if we see someone who's popular and who's great, we Im- immediately are like, okay, this guy's worth listening to. Okay, I'm going I'm to pay attention, right? You don't have to look far to see that, right? You don't have to look at your Joel Osteens and your whatever else. These people who are running mega churches. Everyone's like, these guys are great. Blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden you just... You, or yeah, you, you know, everyone's willing to jump on the bandwagon without truly seeing what's what's behind the And you know, no disrespect to anyone who you've, you know they might. I don't know their hearts or anything. But but the idea is people are quick to jump on bandwagons if a person's popular, right? If a person is speaking your language is hitting you in all the right kind of ways, right? And God here is saying is actually the kingdom of God actually works differently. The kingdom of God is the kind of kingdom where if you're being persecuted, you're being hated, and it's being assaulted by all these people, Right? you're probably in the right sphere of what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it looks like. This is who John is. This is why he's in prison. This is who I am, Jesus says as well about himself. And this is what you are to expect if you're going to pursue the kingdom of God. So pay attention. And then he goes on to tell this, very interesting parable let's read it and then we're going to we're going to wrap up we're, we're just going to read till verse 19 so we're at verse 16 now have a look with me but to what shall i compare this generation Jesus says it's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates and to the others in the marketplace we played the flute for you and you didn't dance we sang a dirge and you didn't mourn have that image in your mind you're you're walking in the shopping center and this busker is playing um, Wonderwall or whatever. And then all of a sudden the busker just throws his guitar and says, the heck guys, I'm playing this song. Why aren't you dancing? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pouring my heart out. Why aren't you crying with me? What does that tell you about this person? What does that tell you about these kids? Where is their head at? It's inward. They're not seeing reality. They are seeing their own perspective, right? Again, going back, like Jesus is making a point here. This isn't just random words that Jesus is just throwing out that's randomly connected or whatever. This is a building on a point from what he began to say about um, from the beginning of the response to John, saying these kids that are bothering in the marketplace, they don't get it. They think that they're all about themselves. They think that they should be the center of the attention. They should be the center of the universe. You know, as adults, that's not appropriate. You're not going to stop your shopping or whatever else just to hang out with a kid and sing a song with them and dance with them or to cry with them or whatever. You're not going to do that. And the idea here is that's who you are, Jesus says. That's what this generation is like. You want to jump on board. But as soon as someone doesn't sing your tune... Or as soon as someone doesn't pat you on the back when you feel like you deserve it or you need it, you all of a sudden want to like reject them and push them away. Like, don't do that. John the Baptist is in prison. I am the Messiah who does not fulfill what you expect, but I do fulfill what the scriptures say about me. Open your eyes. Do not ignore. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me? Blessed is the one who actually goes after Jesus for who He is, and not who they want Him to be, right? And then He says, uh, uh, "By the way, this, this is a very like I, I'm sure, particularly those of you who have like nephews, nieces, and other kids or whatever else. Um, I'm in the clinic all like every day. I'll get families come in, I'll get kids come in, um, and what I'll see is usually this is what this is what will happen." Uh, I'm sitting there, I'm talking with the parents, like, you know, what's going on and blah, blah, getting the history. And the kid will usually wander over to my lolly jar. And it's like (laughs) right next to like on the other part of my desk. So they'll wander. I can see them in the corner of my eye. And they're just standing there looking at the lolly jar. And in their heads, I know what's going on in their heads because it used to happen in my head. In their heads, they're like, if I look at this lolly jar, the guy's looking, he knows that I want this. So if I just stand here patiently, uh, He'll give me the lodger. but why? Because it's all about me. I'm here, I'm in the corner here, I'm looking. He'll meet my needs, he'll he'll know what I want. And then when they don't get their needs met, some kids will just be polite and, and will just continue to stand there for a very long time. Other kids though, they'll start to throw a bit of a tantrum. They'll start to make a bit of noise. They'll start to play with other things on my desk. They'll start to make noises so that their parents get distracted. And they try to pull the attention away. And the idea here is, you, we are not supposed to be that. Jesus here is saying, do not be that type of person. Be the type of person who is actually focusing on the point of attention, and the point of focus, which is Jesus. Not for your own reward, or your own desire, but for what He has to offer. And don't let that friction that you have on your desire get in the way of who He is. And then... He, he ends off by saying this in verse 18 and verse 19. He says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he's he's got a demon. The Son of Man, Jesus, came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. In other words, he's contrasting these two images like your perspective of reality. You can't be pleased either way. On one hand, you look at John, you're like, this guy's crazy. He's got a demon or something inside him because he's eating locusts and honey and living in the wilderness. So he's crazy. And now, he, de- yeah, he deserves to be in prison. Yeah, he, I always knew he had a demon in him. I always knew that. Meanwhile, Jesus... He's doing the opposite. He's having a good time. He's connecting with people. He's actually drawing near to those who need to be drawn near to. The people who are exiled, out of society, outcasts. And he's doing all of that. And all people see are, look at this freaking glutton. Look at this drunkie. Look at this guy. He has no morals. He's going around doing this and that. Jesus is like saying, you people can't be satisfied. You people can't be pleased. Stop looking with the surface level vision that you have, look deeper. And Jesus ends off by saying, yet yeah, wisdom is justified by her deeds. And he's alluding here to the book of Proverbs, Lady Wisdom, who's an, an image or a representative of God's character. Wisdom will be justified by her deeds. These blind people who are seeing, these lame people who are walking, these demon-possessed people who are being set free, these poor people who are having good news preached to them for the first time in their life. These are the people, these are the testimonies that if you look deeper and you see what God's Word says about who He is and what the whole story of the Messiah has been about, you'll see this is it. This is it because it's not just about these blind people seeing and these Dead people coming back to life? Because guess what, dead people will die again. Like they're not gonna stay alive forever, right? These lame and blind people—they're going to die too. Like, and it's not just about having a really encouraging message and saying, "Oh yeah, that was really nice. Oh, I'm not, I'm poor, but hey, Jesus said, blessed is the poor in spirit,' because blah blah blah. Like, it's not just about hearing a nice message. He's saying if you scratch the surface of what all of this stuff is pointing to you're seeing that the kingdom of God is unfolding here. And the kingdom of God is a kingdom where your, your illness and your disease is no longer the final word over who you are and what God declares over your life. The kingdom of God is where your social circumstances and your, uh, your you know, uh, uh, how you were raised or how you were born or, or whatever does not define you and does not define the decisions you make. The kingdom of God declares that God loves you and that he came to this very earth, emptied himself of who he is and all his glory, made himself like you, suffered for you to show you that life could be more. To show you that there is more beyond what we see right in front of us. And so he said, please stop looking with your expectations. Stop looking with the surface level vision that you have. Stop looking with what you feel you deserve or what you feel you don't deserve. Start looking at Jesus. Start looking at who he is and what the kingdom of God is actually about. You know, a lot of people, when they talk about the gospel... They talk about the gospel as just this. The gospel is all about, I'm a sinner. Jesus came to die for my sins. And if I believe in him, I'll go to heaven. That's not the gospel. That's not what Jesus... Jesus didn't rock up uh, to his ministry and, and talk to all these poor people and say, Guys, you're all sinners. One day, not yet, but one day I'm going to die for you. And then if you just believe in me, you'll be fine. You'll be great. You'll go to heaven one day. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. That your life and this world and all the pain and the suffering and all the good things, they all point to a deeper reality, which is that God has made you for more. God wants more for you and for this world. And that God came to die on the cross to buy that thing for you and to bring you back into relationship with him so that you can usher in that new thing that he wants to do in your life and in the world around you. That is the good news. That is the gospel. That is what Jesus came to do. That is what his whole message was about. And you see, wisdom is justified by her actions. We know the end of the story. We know in literally like two, three chapters later, we know how John's story ends. We know where wisdom and her actions lead. John's beheaded. John's beheaded. The whole story with John, if you don't know, is that John, again, his whole message is repent and believe in the gospel. Right. And guess what? He saw King Herod, who's a very bad king. And he saw him. He's like, repent and believe, you know, return to God. Repent. You're a sinner. Why was Herod a sinner? Because Herod was cheating on his wife with his nephew. No, with his, sorry, with his niece, I think, or something like that. Like some incestuous kind of thing. And uh, uh, Herod was doing this illicit thing and it was causing lots of tension and political friction and all this kind of stuff. Uh, And that was Herod's story and guess what John was saying repent and believe you're evil what you're doing is evil It's against the kingdom of God repent So what does Herod do? He arrests John. Because How dare you? How dare you say that to me? I'm the king You can't say that kind of thing to the king. You're in prison. By the way, prison is not what we have now prison back then is you're literally in a dank cell uh, and no like you're alone. Like, that's it. yeah. And it's only if you have friends and family. They'll, they're the ones that will feed you. They're the ones that will come visit you. Otherwise, that's it. You're just there. And you're left to rot and die. Like, that's it. So John, John's there. He, he knows he's, he's dying. Like, this is it. There's nothing. And then a few chapters later, we hear how, how wisdom unfolds, how the story of John unfolds. And that is that one day... That uh, that girl, the the, the one that, that Herod, uh, I think it's his niece. Don't quote me. I'm sorry if I got that wrong. But anyway, uh, she's dancing for Herod. She's showing off the way, way that the story kind of tells us a little bit more than just simply dancing. And uh, and Herod loves it. And he says to her, whatever you want in the whole... Actually, sorry. It's the daughter of the one that... Anyway, read it yourself. But um, But anyway, he's like, whatever you want, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. Up to half of the kingdom, I'll give you anything you want. And you know what she asks for? She goes back to her mother, who was the other person that John was talking against. And uh, her mother says, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. That guy can't talk about me like that and humiliate me like that. I'll do what I want. I'll get what I want. So I want his head on a platter. And guess what? That's exactly what happens. That's where the wisdom of God led. That's in Jesus's eyes. That's how wisdom is justified. And we know the story of Jesus as well. We know where the story of Jesus, where the wisdom of God led Jesus. It wasn't as everyone was expecting to be on the throne in front of the defeating the Romans and all of a sudden setting up a new kingdom where all of a sudden there's this glorious, mighty whatever and conquering the rest of the world. No, the wisdom of God led to Jesus being executed by people who just hated him, just like hated him with their whole being. They saw him, everything he stood for, everything he said, they hated it completely to the point where they conspired to kill him and turned everyone against him, even those who were following him against him, even his friends betraying him. And he was murdered on a Roman execution block known as the cross. And that is the story of Jesus. That is the wisdom of God unfolding itself. That is... The wisdom of God. What is your perspective? What is your vision? Because you see, God wants you to see his perspective. It's not about what happens to you. It's not about your expectations and them not being met. God's expectations are beyond ours. God's desires and ways are above ours. And so when he reveals these things and who Jesus was, he is trying to show you and wake you and say, hey, this is not what's going on. So, God's reality is that He didn't come to condemn, but He came. Uh, he didn't come to condemn, you know, the people who hated Him or whatever else, or John's, you know, prisoner, or the the people who put John in prison or whatever. He can. He came to condemn evil itself and the power of sin, the power of evil itself. He's not interested with the the pawn pawns on the on the chessboard. He's interested with the the thing behind it, the thing that's motivating and moving people. He didn't come to rescue us from our temporary chains and bondage uh, and you know this illness or this or he came to set us free from the eternal uh chains that held us together right and he didn't come to put others to death but he let himself be put to death this is god's story and you see god doesn't sit here and talk down to you when you doubt him he doesn't say oh freaking this guy What more do I have to, oh God, just read your Bible, will you? You know, no, he doesn't do that. You know what he says to you when you doubt him? Because we all will, and I'm sure many of us have. You know what he says when we doubt him? He says, look at who I am. Look at what my story is all about. Look at what I did on the cross. Trust me, know me, be in relationship with me. Because it's only through that, that you work out the doubts to a point where you can trust him and love him again, and where you can actually say, All right, I, I might not get it, but I know who you are. I know who you are, and you're good, and I trust you. And that's hard. It's not easy to say that to him. But when you know him, when you know him, he gives you the ability to be able to say that. Yeah? And that's what I hope we can do with each other. When we have doubts, don't shut each other down. Don't be the person who scoffs or laughs or says, oh, you don't know your Bible good enough or whatever else. And don't do that to anyone else, whether they're a Christian or not. You do it with love and you point back to Jesus. I get it. It's hard to understand, it's hard to understand why uh, God might not like this or that or why God might say he blah, blah, blah. It's hard to understand. But look at who Jesus is. Look at, look at who he is. Look at what he did. Blessed is the one who's not, uh, who's not, um, what do you call it, by him? is not, what was the quote? Oh. Offended. Thank you, Marina. So, that's what uh, was on my heart to share with you guys tonight. Um, maybe if we could take a moment to bow our heads and just talk with God for a bit. There's a lot of us in this room that have been offended by God that have been offended by what we might have heard others who claim to know God say um, and offended about our own uh, expectations versus the reality of our situation and we haven't understood where God is or what his purpose or plan might be. Some of us are going to go through that and it might be in days, it might be in weeks or months or years. Some of us don't even trust him in one iota. It's from the get-go, we just aren't interested, point blank. Um, But the invitation tonight is to say, all right, these doubts, you have them. It's okay to have these doubts. Um, And the invitation is to say, uh, don't look at your situation or your experience or what you expect. The challenge from Jesus is, look at who I am. Look at who he is. Let him speak for himself and the beautiful thing about who Jesus is, yes, he was a figure in history 2000 years ago, but he is also real. He's, he's real now and not only is he real now, but you've got everything you need to discover him in the Bible and Jesus himself promises. If you seek, you'll find him. If you knock, the door will be open. So knock, seek, read the Bible talk to people, go on the journey. And I invite every single one of us now just to speak to him now, whatever you want to say to him. you for who you are. We thank you for um, what you came to do and what your gospel, what the good news actually is. Um, We thank you, Lord, that it's more than just me. It's more than just us. It's about your love for everyone. It's about how you came to redeem everything and make all things new, Lord. We want to be new. Thank you, Lord, that, um, that your love drove you to the cross. And that your kingdom and your wisdom, even though it's foolishness to us, Lord, it is far greater than anything that we could ever conceive ourselves, Lord. So we thank you for who you are and for your love. And Lord, we just ask that you wouldn't just let these be nice words, but that they would move us along a journey to know you more, to love you more, uh, to be closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.